welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope this finds you well. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Giles Hutchins, and we're going to get into the process of becoming a regenerative leader. How can we bring a regenerative lens to our coaching? So we're going to talk all about what is regenerativity? What is this shift that's taking place? We'll talk about how we can learn from nature how we can harness the rhythms of nature in the transformative work that we do. We'll talk about the old paradigm, the Cartesian mechanistic worldview, and some of the consequences of that worldview and how we're being invited to shift into a more naturalistic, spiritual worldview within which we can become more coherent and access new ways of perceiving and being and leading and creating in the world. It's a really rich conversation. Giles is a pioneering practitioner, a keynote speaker and executive coach at the forefront of this revolution in leadership and organizational development. He coaches CEOs. We'll talk about that in our conversation today. And he also supports whole organizations in becoming Future Fit. He's currently the chairman of the Future Fit Leadership Academy, lead partner of the Natural Business Partnership co-founder of Biomimicry for Creative Innovation, co-founder of Regenerators.co. He's the author of five books. Principally in this conversation, we're going to be speaking about his most recent book, Leading by Nature, which I really recommend. But he's also the author of other books, such as Regenerative Leadership, along with Laura Storm, Future Fit, The Illusion of Separation, and The Nature of Business. If you feel inspired to share this podcast, I'd really appreciate that. I love spreading the wisdom of people like Giles into the world. I think it's needed. And of course, if you want to check out our offerings or join our community, you can head to coachesrising.com and find the sign-up box there. Sign up and you'll stay in the loop about everything we create. Or you can check out our online trainings for coaches there. All right, let's dive in. Here is the podcast with Giles Hutchins. All right, Giles, uh, let's have some fun. That's what we were just saying. I'm really delighted to be with you today and uh, talk about your work. And um, yeah, I mean, first of all, how are you doing? First, yeah. I'm pretty good. I uh, can't complain. I mean, it's it's nice now, this time of year. Weather is getting warmer. Uh, a lot of my work is out in nature, um, but a good mix of actually online clients and in nature work. So I'm very happy. You know, um, people are finally kind of, it seems like, the system is starting to wake up to the very stuff I've been waxing lyrical about for over 15 years. So on that regard, I'm, I'm good. Um, pretty busy, but um, I, I can't complain. Life is life is good. How about yourself, Joel? Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty good, actually. Also, um, yeah, you know, uh, navigating that dynamic between being busy and, and not busy, you know, like uh, and never quite managing to land in a place too long where it feels like this is it, you know, I've got the sweet spot, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good too. Yeah. And actually um, I, I want to ask you about just before we talk about regenerative leadership and regenerative consciousness, maybe you could just say a little bit about what you do as well. You, you said you're doing a lot of work out in nature and online. What do you, what are you up to? Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm a coach, really. I coach CEOs, but also, you know, um, senior leaders of all walks of life. So some of those could be community um, developers uh, or, or 
cultivators um I, sometimes it's it's life coaching where people are going through significant changes in their life um but it all relates to what i call this shift from achiever to regenerative which no doubt we can unpack later um but a lot of it is with business leaders and sometimes actually then getting hands-on involved actually in their organizational transformations i used to do business transformation uh, for for, for, for many years but now really i much prefer more the coaching one-to-one -one coaching but i do also do leadership team coaching so we have groups come here intact teams come here to springwood um so we had a big corporate here just a couple of days ago for instance their sustainability team um leadership teams but also a lot of people come here and do one-to-one -one coaching and we do immersions overnight solos and but I also coach a lot of people internationally that I never meet in person. And that works, I've, I've found works very well, very powerfully. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think we will get into some of the things you just talked about. I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to talk about uh, your book as well, um, Leading by Nature, which I really enjoyed reading. And I, I just want to also spend a good part of our conversation exploring how do you then coach people you know, with the regenerative lens in mind. And just to say, like, um, I want to ask you in a moment, what is, um, you know, like regenerative leadership? How can we support people to become uh, regenerative leaders? But just to say, like, I really loved reading your book, you know, uh, it just chimes with me so much to the emerging worldview and um, so many of the things you named inside of it, I, I you know, you've encapsulated it inside of this regenerative kind of um feel but it just it just speaks speaks to me and i think to a lot of people so uh yeah what like what is regenerativity you know um uh what is regenerative leadership yeah well i quite like that expression regenerativity um so regenerative leadership i mean regeneration in general is a bit of a buzzword you know, a bit of a zeitgeist um essentially it involves a shift in worldview, which I can unpack later. But really, at the very simple levels, it is learning to work the way nature works. So working with the grain of nature. And for regenerative leadership, that's our leadership. How do we work in tune with the ways of nature? And the way I sort of break that down to make it easy for people is inner nature and outer nature. So the inner nature of your own self, and that's a process of turning our attention inward and going through a developmental journey, and the outer nature, how we show up and how we engage and how we listen and how we sense to respond to our system changes. Now, the same applies to the organization. So when we talk about regenerative business, the inner nature of the organization is the culture and how people show up every day and the, the rituals and um, habits and processes that we engage in. And the outer nature is the value propositions, the way in which that organization engages with customers, suppliers, wider society and the environment. Both of those um, can go through a step change, as it were, or an evolution into becoming more in tune with life. So that's what regenerative leadership does, is help us become more in tune with life, become more who we truly are, but also waking up to how life really works. So that involves learning from living systems. And there are as I talk about three different levels of learning from living systems, you know, and the first level is around uh, understanding about nature. And it's just almost like a, a, a head-based knowing. Uh, you could uh, correlate it to Otto Sharma's open mind. It's opening our mind to living systems. And that first level is around things like biomimicry, 
um, cradle to cradle, circular economics, where we start to understand the patterns and processes and flows of how systems work. And we apply that to then our own systems design. But that can be a, a sort of open mind level. And then the second level of learning from living systems, you could call it open heart, is more recognizing that we're not just mapping the system out there. It's not just systems thinking. It's actually systemic awareness. We are in the system. We're part of the system. We're never set foot from it. We're reverberating within it. So that's a systemic participation. And that's an open mind and embodied experience. And there's all sorts of practices that we can do to help that in our leadership and also in our organizational development. And then the third level, which is often overlooked in common parlance today, because it's possibly the most challenging to the current paradigm, um, is attuning into nature's wisdom. So that's a recognition that nature itself is physical and metaphysical. And there's a whole metaphysical dimension to life that is here all the time, um, informing actually the physical. And that actually we need to open up to that. And that comes with this worldview shift from what I call mechanistic materialism into quantum complexity. And there are all sorts of practices that help us just open ourselves, our body minds up into life. So those are the three levels, as it were, that enable us to become a regenerative leader. There's so much in what you just shared. I think we're going to unpack, but maybe we can context this in the world right now. You know, like it, it, it yeah, you speaking to this worldview shift and, one of the things we've talked a lot about on the podcast is, you know, the kind of Cartesian worldview, seeing humans and nature like machines, uh, and then leading to like reductionism and this sense of like humans are separate from nature. You know, we're like on the top of an apex or something separate from nature. Could you speak into a little bit about that worldview and and think some of the the detriments that that's had, some of the you know, we could probably say it's brought some beautiful innovations to the world, scientific um, innovation, you know, so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but there's some, there's obvious flaws in this way of seeing. So could you contrast that with then this new worldview as well? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So we've gone for a uh, talk about it as the journey of separation, right? a whole book about this on, called The Illusion of Separation, and then also paraphrase some of that in Regenerative Leadership, the book before Leading by Nature. So this sort of journey of separation that we've been on really, I mean, you could argue that the seeds were sown right back in the agricultural revolution, um, but um, and accelerated through things like Christendom, um, ancient Greek thinking and so forth. But actually, all the way through even medieval times, we still had um, a deep sense of the metaphysical nature of life. And it was really with the advent of the Age of Reason, the scientific revolution, which is only just sort of 400 years ago, really, and then into the Industrial Revolution, that we started to really get more and more caught up in mechanistic materialism. So um, where we believed, I mean, we actually replaced, as it were, the sort of the idea of a um, superstitious God with this idea that actually the new God, as it were, was reductive scientific analytical reasoning and there's nothing wrong with it that's actually a powerful tool this reductive way of understanding breaking things down into parts that's what the left brain hemisphere does we have a left brain hemisphere for a reason there's nothing wrong with it the problem comes when we then don't put things back into their lifting context we actually start believing the artificial constructs that we've made and we think that is how life is and that's what's happened over the last 400 years really culminating uh, even more since the second world war with 
all the tools that that provides, because it provides for advanced technologies, the ability to design all sorts of wonderful things, because we break things down, we understand, and we make things. And with that, we've got more and more caught up in the tools that we've made. You know, it's, it's the old story of Gollum or, or Frankenstein or whatever. We've got more and more caught up in our beautiful uh, constructs, which are now becoming sort of monsters that are sort of tyrannizing over us. You know, everywhere at the moment, it's about AI and augmented reality and smart glasses and all of that and smart cities and smart planet. Uh, all of that really actually starting to superficialize our connectedness. Yeah, it's actually sort of making us more and more caught up in the busyness of the ego consciousness and actually warping our sense of deep connection to who we truly are, to reality. Now, that's because we've got too caught up in it. Now, you're right. Maybe there is every journey of separation, departure, separation, return, the old shamanic journey. Every journey in itself reveals a wisdom. So we can't just write this off as, oh, my God, this has been a disaster. It's obviously come at major major challenges socioeconomically you know we, we've got more and more fractured societies uh, rampant social inequality we're destroying life on earth all sorts of problems that people have written about elsewhere um, however there is also this extenuated sense of separateness which we can now feel we can truly sense in our own selves what it feels like to be completely divorced from reality which in and of itself is an embodied experience for the homo sapien mind to to say okay gosh i've got it now this is what happens if i go too far if i if i try and twist my ego and think i'm actually separate from the sacred dimension of life this is what happens and what happens is i get more and more caught up in titillation more and more caught up in distraction and actually oh my gosh i become that golem frankenstein monster and i lose sense and touch with who i truly am and i create a society that is devoid of purpose, consumerism. So uh, that in itself is a learning experience, I would argue. And then the wisdom that comes through that is that, okay, gosh, so we now need to reconnect. We now need to actually consciously reconnect back in. And so we're learning now about, you know, ancient indigenous ways, wisdom traditions, monomyths, um, journeys, um, spirituality, whatever it is that's bubbling up through consciousness, which is actually us consciously going, okay, I'm now starting to reconnect. What does this look like? What does this feel like? So that's a flickering phase change in any complex system. When you go through quite a significant shift, um, you go through this sort of flickering. And, and you know the old stories like Star Wars and Highlander, whatever film generation you're from, talk about this sort of marsh or this sort of quagmire or the quickening that you have to go through in order or the labyrinth you know where you actually see your own reflection as the medusius that you have to work through to actually realize hang on a minute the gift of all of this is for me to understand who i truly am and that's what we're going through and that's what i coach leaders through so they can start to sense the other side of that flickering so we don't just get caught up in the marsh and the mess they can actually recognize okay there is a a deeper reality, the other side of all this, and I can help manifest that in my life and in my organizations. Nice, yeah. And do you, you said you find now more and more people are opening to this. I mean, of course, there's an explosion in all those things, in, of interest in all those things you just named. You find more and more people are, are like coming to you and saying like, oh, we, we, we see something in what you're doing. 
Yeah, I think I, I mean started talking about this stuff more openly about sort of fifteen years ago, and at the time it was a bit woo. Um, and especially learning from living systems and nature, I, I feel now uh, definitely um, there is a waking up going on uh, in parallel to also a darkening of the light. So let's not just make it about everything's getting more woken up. Actually, this flickering is a dangerous stage. Um, and there's, you know, I'm not making it sound sort of, you know, disaster fueled. It's not, but it's the blackest hour before the dawn, uh, as to use Joseph Campbell's expression, where actually the seeds of this new change have been sown for the last hundred years. It's quite a long time. You know, you've got great minds like Einstein, Bateson, um, Donanella Meadows, um, Bohr, uh, David Bohm, you know, brilliant scientists uh, exploring complexity theory and quantum theory. That's been going on for the last hundred years, but it's, it's really struggled. The mainstream domination has been so strong in our minds. Um, and that is accelerating, actually. You know, I mean, the, um, there are billions, if not trillions, some people estimate trillions being invested in augmented reality and um, the advanced uses of AI to digitize our experience of life. Now, that's taking us further away. Now, it's been sort of put up in the guise of helping humanity. Um, there's also through... COVID, whilst on the one hand, it helped us redefine our purpose and actually engage people to uh, you know, a journey of wholeness and the great resignation and all these sorts of things. It also came with the dismantling of civil liberties and increasing level of control, a rollout of, of 5G and all sorts of other things that are actually, gosh. So there's these two tensions going on. And yes, there is a waking up. There is also a increasing of control that's trying to suppress that waking up that happens inside ourselves we sometimes often see it is out there as some kind of force out there but actually it's just happening in us all the time and we're struggling with that but that's part of the the quickening it's part of the the evolutionary process yeah I, I think one of the things I've been reflecting on and various people on the podcast have said different things you know but um, most people these days seem to, seem to be saying like, it's not about saving the world, you know, like um, something needs to really die. Something is dying here and it, and it, we, need, we need to let it die. And that's going to be really painful, you know, and there's going to be a place for grieving, a lot of giving space for that, you know? So um, yeah, of course, how that journey actually plays out, you know, and, and, and how painful it gets, and how dark it gets, I'm uncertain about, you know, is it like, are we at the darkest moment now? I, I don't think we are, actually. But, um, yeah, of course, it's hard to know, isn't it? And um, you can riff on that if you want. I've got another question, which is, could you say more about the, um, you know, you've talked about the metaphysical aspect of experience and you know in your book you also write about these lenses as well like that you know i don't know if this connects but this is also something i'm seeing a lot now like people talking about rebalancing our, our other faculties expanding the bandwidth of where we come from this you know mechanistic cartesian worldview which privileged the rational mind which likes to break things down and predict and analyze and is often you know based more in fear or you know like it's scanning so so how can we balance uh, and expand where we source ourselves from? So could you say more about these, these lenses, you know, the one, the voice in the head, the deeper nature in the field, 
and and just to say like um how um could you talk also about nature because i feel like um there's also a shift in spirituality taking place towards something which is uh perhaps in, including the indigenous the shamanic more not just the purely transcendent spirituality which privileges consciousness over everything yes of course it acknowledge you know we have to acknowledge this conscious feel but um that not not at the expense of the material or the or, or the natural um yeah. so yeah there's a lot in there but just see there is a lot in there you. oh well, yeah well i'll start with that and then i'll go back to the other question so i'll start with the the concept of basically um being transparent to the transcendent and being intimate with the imminence is what i talk about in leading by nature so this is a a, a, a dual process uh, everything in life has this wonderful tension to it it's the the symbol if you like of the caduceus um spiraling snake two-headed snake um and, and we can work with that just as we could work with what we were just talking about there the powers of separation and reductionism into interweaving with the powers of regeneration you know that's going on and to your question as to when is the moment a- again if we're not careful we use the rational mind that gives us some sort of plan i can plan with that and let me have a gantt chart and all oh, the moments now the the reality is we are in it we're in the flickering we ourselves are part of the vessel of the change. So some of us have probably gone through the blackest hour and are coming out the other side although still flickering and having bits of it and are then having to operate in a dirty water as it were like the 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 goldfish going back into the dirty and having to process that and sometimes that's triggering some old stuff and sometimes they're helping cleanse it through their gills. So some of us are still flickering before it and then being in the dirty water and sometimes the water is cleaner in some parts and dirt. that's what's really going on it's not a clear okay we hit a moment um, you know it's a bit like the 2012 uh, 20 uh, 2021 um you know the full moon on this point you know there there's been the, all these moments where suddenly the energy shifting the reality is we're all going through our own shifts and it's happening but it is unfolding and there is a definitely um different qualities of energy that we are able to attune with if we so choose but that is up to us our own little vessels our own little radio sets if you like yeah and sometimes we get a bit carried away with our own radio sets and we think that we're the announcers you know and and it's the old expression of looking for the radio announcer inside the radio set what we've got to realize is that we are actually connected to something far greater than ourselves and we are in that we are at best transducers you know co-creators with it but our minds actually are not in here um they are all around us we are working we're delimiting actually in a way we're kind of working out what we can work with uh, and actually we are reality we're not perceiving reality reality is perceiving itself through us and so that in itself is a humbling um but it helps us then with that concept of becoming more transparent to the transcendent and becoming more intimate with the imminence this experience of life in itself is deeply sacred and so we're opening up to that recognition that everything that we're working through and going through whether it be a very challenging tense conversation or whether it be um sitting um in nature is a sacred experience and then that brings us to our own little vessel as it were our own little body mind in the midst of all of this 
um, fractal experience, which is that we've got these tensions going on, just like the two snakes again, the yin-yang symbol. We've got the dorsal and the ventral attention systems inside the mind. We've got the left brain hemisphere. We've got the right brain hemisphere. We've got the top forehead. We've got the back parietal region. We've got the sympathetic networks, the parasympathetic networks. We've even got these attunements inside the throat system. We've got the cortisol and adrenaline. We've got the serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin. We've got these biorhythms all going on all the time. And each of those can go through their own threshold moments of tuning in and tuning out through simple practices that are time honored, whether it's indigenous, shamanic, or whether it's ancient wisdom traditions, they're all pretty much doing the same thing, which is through simple practices, we can allow a coherence. And of course, cutting edge science shows this as well. You have companies like Google investing millions in their mind gyms, and all they're doing is taking these very old practices and just bringing them in. The problem is, is that they're often framed in a way of helping us become more efficient and effective or more creative rather than what they should be, which is helping us become more of who we truly are so we can truly serve life. And that's a difference. That's the left brain hemisphere, you know, something about efficiency and effectiveness into, as Ian McGilchrist puts it, starting with the right brain hemisphere, starting with your uh, immersed experience, embodied experience of reality, allowing the left brain hemisphere then to do its efficiency and effectiveness and do its tool, and then putting it back in the deeper purpose of why am I here? What's the purpose of this business? To serve life, to create value rather than just to maximize profits. So we go through these little threshold moments in our life. And there is quite a big shift that we do, which we call the midlife crisis, because we've tried to, again, sort of make it into something about putting on some leathers, getting on the old um, Harley Davidson, whatever (laughs) the analogy is. But actually, it's a profound time where we can go through a process, again, a flickering phase change, a wintering, a marsh, but actually come out the other side with a clearer skin, an openness to life, more transparent to the transcendent, more intimate to the imminence of life. And I think it was Claire Graves, the adult developmental psychologist, whose work underpins things like spiral dynamics, who said that this transition is not just a new level of existence, but it's actually the start of a new movement in the symphony of human identity. So that's what we're dealing with as coaches. We are helping people through a reintegration of what human identity means in society for our own selves and for the systems we operate in. So that's it's quite humbling, um, but that's what's going on. I hope that starts to respond to mm. the questions you gave me. Yeah, yeah. I think I hear inside of that that, um, you know, if we just look at things from a, a Descartesian kind of mechanistic point of view, our, you know, we're not our, our body's kind of a machine, you know, something we can improve and um, it gets us around. Uh, but when I hear you talking, you know, this word coherence is a, is a word that speaks to me deeply, you know, that we can actually bring our, our body mind into a coherence. And, 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 and begin to refine our perceptual faculty uh, and, and to move into this kind of imminence, which is, which is supported by that transcendence as well. It's like they go hand in hand and that one can begin to, you know, attune 
uh, like I know you write about this in your book, this has been something that's been very dear to me. Like how can one uh, attune their heart as a, as a, as an organ of perception and, and, um, and in doing so like open to this, this field where there is information and um, one actually begins to perceive oneself not as a separate thing, you know, uh, but actually, oh, and this is one of the, you know, why I've liked Ian McGilchrist's work too, that it's like, oh, actually maybe the I made more of my relationship to things than I am of the things themselves, you know? Like, so there's a fluidity. And I think this is part of the destabilization that's taking place you know, if you look at like it's breaking through, like even in things like um, gender fluidity, you know, we're starting to see all these like ways that we help things in a more fixed way are, are uh, just no longer satisfactory. So um, I'm hearing this journey into this kind of more kind of uh, fluid um, relationship um, to to experience, which can be disturbing too. Because in my own life, this is a longer response than I intended, but I'm pretty fired up by what you're saying. So I want to bring a question to you pretty quickly. But uh, in my own life, I've, I've, I'm, I, that this transition you're talking about uh, speaks to me, you know, uh, and it, and it's also um, disturbing too. You know, it's it's difficult and painful. Um, to have things that were you trusted in and, and felt solid in some way, and suddenly they become empty or hollow and, and there's a groundless feeling. And um, I think the question I have is like, could you speak a bit more to the field, you know, this journey of like um, perhaps tr- transcending the voices in our head? Yeah. Yeah. So you did mention um, in your previous thing about the three lenses. So again, these are just little models. These are little frames. Um, let's not get caught on the models and the frames, but uh, a powerful little framing is, is three lenses, which is just a way in which we experience reality. So if you can see lens one and then lens two and then lens three, sort of starting from the left to the right, if you like. And lens one is sort of our first experience of uh, of life, um, which is mainly through the eye, interestingly, but perhaps um, should also be through all of the senses, including the supersensory, the the intuitive. Um, but the, 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 the sort of dominant way at the moment is through this, what we call lens one, voice in the head. Yeah, we all know it um, well. Um, it usually kicks in shortly after we've woken up. If we're lucky, we might sense a few moments before it kicks in where we're still quite spacious. We're still sort of in flow. We're active yet relaxed. The, the parasympathetic and sympathetic networks are working nicely. The left and right brain hemisphere is working nicely. But before we know it, the to-do list comes in, the activities, then we have the coffee, we put the phone on, bam, we're in. And probably slipping not just from alpha, beta, gamma, uh, delta brainwave frequencies, but into beta and not just beta, but into high beta. And then that all extenuates, actually, the voice in the head. So it sort of, it, it, it creates its own sort of, I'm here, uh, important sinners, and I've got to feed you with a few little worries. So, oh my God, I've got, I've got our, we've got a, more of the attention of our energy is going towards it. But then it actually starts self-fulfilling itself. Um, so it becomes, you know, it 
catches itself in its own hall of mirrors. And before we know it, quite a lot of our attention, attentive energy is going towards it. So it then becomes quite dominant and it's got a narrative. And if we ever actually checked this narrative, um, like for its KPIs, you know, how successful is it? And, and these little narratives that it comes up with, how useful are they? We'd probably find that it's actually probably not the best um, tool that we've got. And actually, lots of the time, it's actually probably trying to undermine us. But let's let's treat it with some kindness and some empathy, a bit like hospicing the old system you talk about. We've got to treat this with empathy. Otherwise, we're just bringing in yesterday's consciousness in and we're judging. So Otto Sharma talks about the voices of judgment, cynicism and fear. And that's what feeds this voice in the head, really. If we look at it again, it's just a model. To, but much of the time, we're either judging something. You know, um, people could be doing this even in this podcast or any new experience when I take people out into the woods or a new challenge in the workplace or going into a shop, whatever the experience is, quite quickly, we either judge or we then become critical or there's some underlying fear. And all of that is based on trying to close us down, trying to keep us safe. So if we have empathy, if we bring love and understanding to this voice in the head, then it's just trying to keep us safe. But the reality is in doing so, it's delimiting, it's reducing down our experience of being able to learn, being able to grow, being able to truly experience life in an unencumbered way. So the more we become aware of that voice in the head by just noticing it, uh, and recognizing the judgment, cynicism and fear that feeds it, then we can start to ease tools like mindfulness meditation, which are now in pretty much every business course and um, business school, and um, which they weren't just 10, 10 years ago, will help with that. But where they usually stop is it's then just about helping that because then we become more clear in our mind and we can deal with complexity thinking and we can uh, deal with volatility and so forth, which is absolutely fine. Of course, we need that. But that kind of leadership is just coping with the current situation. It's not actually leadership that's transforming the situation. And in my, in my mind, a leadership that's coping with the current situation is a very pale uh, flaccid form of leadership. We need uh, leadership that is actually transforming. That's for me is what leith, the old European word means to cross the threshold. So we need a, a true kind of leadership that's not just equipping us to cope, to become more into dealing with paradoxes and polarities and uh, integrating um, aspects of ourselves so that we can be more present in complexity. That's useful. It's what we call horizontal development, but we actually need vertical development that allows us to expand our meaning making which involves our deepening sense of purpose and for that that's where we go into lens two our deeper nature and then behind that lens three the field yeah which is always here and what these seeds that were planted a hundred years ago with great minds like albert einstein Burr, uh, schrodinger uh, max planck and all of this who are deep deeply um, advanced scientists that started understanding the very um, spirituality that the ancient wisdom traditions have been talking about for millennia. They started to tune them both in. What they started to recognize is that everything is fundamentally interconnected and that we have this non-locality, this experience that's going on, which um, has a different time, type of space-time related to it. The best way I like to describe it is around synchronicity, because we all sometimes have experiences of synchronicity. And the more that we open to this deeper nature and the field, the more we actually allow synchronicity into our conscious awareness. And the more we realize that actually life itself is this 
dance, this co-creation that we're in. And the more conscious we become of the dance, the more able we're able to really dance. But it's a letting go. It's a surrendering. This is what the symbols of Jesus on the cross and so forth truly represent, which is this capacity to what they call kenosis, back to the heart again, opening the heart to become courageous, courage, to actually truly allow ourselves to work with life. That's the art of becoming a regenerative leader. And it's a waking up process. It's a whole integrative process that doesn't just happen overnight. We can have peak experiences, but how do we bring that capacity for flow, for openness into our everyday experiences? And that's where vertical development and coaching comes in. I'm just, I got to ask this question because um, I, I don't know if you've seen, like there's been a lot of heated debate recently about developmental theory, people like Nora Bates and, and Dave Snowden kind of really critiquing the origins of developmental theory. I mean, we've, we, you know, Coaches Rising, we, we're big fans of it. We've put program, developmental coaching programs on. Um, I'm certainly investigating my own kind of uh, how I hold that, that theory because, yeah, Dave and Nora, they're kind of coming in saying, where does this come from? You know, even, even Nora saying, like, um, it has some of the same origins as eugenics, you know, talking about, like, the, the perfect person or something. Um, so, so I'm. I guess my question is, you, you know, uh, and, and they're, they're challenging also like this that stage-like nature of developmental theory, and that's why I've appreciated uh, Gebser, Gene Gebser, talking about yeah. mutations that can, and that feels much <laughs> more akin to what you're talking about. You know, that there's actually these um, kind of um, types of consciousness that can burst forth into experience. So my question is. Um, do you see the potential for, you know, if we go to systemic thinking, like that we can actually create experiences that allow an individual then to access a type of consciousness, you know, a more mature. Yeah. So you mentioned, you, you yeah. mentioned quite a lot. Again, you've mentioned, I mean, these are good questions, um, but it un uncovers a lot. I mean, Gabster, definitely. Um, Teilhard de Chardin. Um, um, more recently, Rupert Sheldrake, Morphic Resonance actually speaks a lot to this. And I actually quite like the idea of Morphic Resonance. Probably even mutations could be misunderstood and become into eugenic. So, um, to speak to, you know, we, we can't give the phrase developmental a bad rap because that's a word that describes an ever learning, trying to develop, trying to allow ourselves. I think what happens is, and I had this when I first came to a lot of the developmental models, I had that reaction, which was, oof, this feels a bit, um, gosh, feels like we're almost trying to say that certain, you know, ways of life are sort of old and then we're building this advancement, this ascent of humanity, and and that and that that almost you know like it has then judgment on other layers. And of course, life is far richer than that. Actually, what happened in medieval times, what's happening in indigenous communities, what's happened in some of the ancient wisdom traditions in Egypt that we're still learning about now, held a far deeper, richer capacity to trans to become transparent to the transcendent and int intimate with the immanence than. Um, for instance, uh, maybe Ken Wilber's stuff or whatever like that. I don't know. But um, uh, the, I, I think then if we're not careful, though, and this is the times that we go through, they are quite judgmental. If we're not careful, we go too far the other way, which is then to sort of almost sort of blacklist all that stuff. There is when I truly was taught 
about Claire Graves, for instance, original research. And I read actually his words rather than sort of representations in models. And you sensed what he was talking about, which was this echo back from early, um, from what he calls tier one um, into sort of beige, uh, into the tier two, and how there's in his language that teal is actually bringing in um, this echo from um, an indigenous knowing of the world. And then you read people like, um, the models around these shifts in McGilchrist is a, is a good model. Um, um, Owen Barfield as well, his work, which is very, not very well known, but deeply resonant, talk about these shifts from a participation mystique into an age of separation and then bringing it back into a, a final participation, as it were. Speak to that departure, separation, return. I think what happens is when we try and then overlay that on society, overlay that on our organizations, overlay, and it gives labels to stuff. Um, now, on the one hand, that's really useful because it gives us frames and we need frames and we need maps. But on the other hand, we then get caught up on that and it disempowers us or it makes us judgmental because the yesterday's consciousness creeps in and then uses that to go, ah, oh, okay, you, you, you're, you're an orange type and you're green and you're teal and, and so forth, which is, is silly. That's not what it's really, it's just trying to help us recognize that there are these different capacities that we can breathe in and breathe out of. And Gregory Bateson's work um, actually spoke a lot about this earlier on when you read through some of his work, how he speaks about the mind of nature and how we can tune into that. So so they're all models. I think if we get too caught on the model, yes, they have. They run the risk of maybe creating the very consciousness that they're trying to move away from in them. Um, but they're tools. Uh, why I've used some of the adult developmental psychology tools in my leadership work is because I've actually found the studies underneath them to be very rigorous. Um, so that I haven't found other studies out there where thousands of senior leaders have have gone through processes where and, and again you can easily critique it you know sentence completion forms that assess people gosh you know it all depends on how you are in the moment and so forth but i sometimes find that useful some of the coaching clients i'm with um they can do for instance a heart hill assessment that actually says oh okay you're more uh, individualist or achiever individualist and um uh, uh, two years later, you're starting to show some signs of strategies coming. And that gives us something to work with that helps them make meaning out of. If you then get caught on the labels, then, of course, you're, you're going backwards. Uh, but these are frames and frames can help certain people. Now to your other point, which is the importance of connecting to nature and the power that nature brings. All of this is about opening up to real life more, experiencing life. Um, so through the heart, and you mentioned the heart, the heart is a powerful organ of perception. Not only does it beat 100,000 times a day without fail, oxygenating every single cell in our body, that's enough to be grateful for, but actually it's also a powerful organ of perception. Uh, thousands of times more powerful magnetically than the brain, more information going from the heart to the brain than the other way around. And what we're doing, the same with the gut, these three powerful neurological centers in our body, is constantly sensing and responding. Much of it is below the level of our conscious daily awareness, that that, that voice in the head is, is happening at those deeper levels of the lens two and lens three. It's connecting us to the field. And when we go into nature, uh, and I've found this specifically, and there obviously are places that are uh, perhaps more powerful than others. Very lucky here with the ancient woodland we have. When you go into nature, a couple of things happen. One, that person feels less judged. So if you're in a corporate hotel away day 
you've still got people popping in, serving cups of tea, whatever it is, and it's all a bit formal. Okay, you've got your casual attire on, but you're still on that kind of am I wearing smart casual vibe. Um, Whereas when you're in the woods and you're in it and you're not being judged and there's dirt on the floor, um, that helps the person open. That with powerful practices that I do to quite quickly get the person out of the voice in the head to truly sense into themselves, then you are starting to get to a place where you can allow that person to have an embodied experience of becoming more transparent to the transcendent, more intimate with the imminence. And then that lends itself to the second stage, which is actually allowing them to psychologically and physiologically start to open and develop coherence, like we were talking about earlier. And I found that nature is perhaps one of the most powerful and safest ways to do that. Psychologically safe, it holds you, you're not being judged, um, things can open, the energy is held, um, and also at the same token, it allows that softness. So I do sometimes have, I've had for instance, a client come here recently and wanted to bring his CEO and founder of a, of a company, wanted to bring his general manager here. and But he was worried that uh, what would she think coming to the woods? You know, what's all, oh, you know, gosh, this idea of okay, coming to the woods. But now I've actually found um, many women coming here of, of all backgrounds. I've got a leader from, uh, from Sweden coming next week, for instance. She's going to do a two-night uh, solo um, with some coaching, but actually she's going to be in a spot in the woods on her own, it's a completely private, secluded woods here. And she's going to have two nights and a whole day in silence so that she can gain perspective on everything. And so she can feel those lenses, voice in the head, deeper nature field. So she can really get a sense of where she's at in her life right now, that reorientation with some coaching from me at the beginning and at the end, just to then frame it in where is she at? Then she can go back into the coalface. You know, she's an international, you know, she's in um, Shanghai, New York, Brisbane, Sweden, you know, international um, high octane uh, leader. But that is a vital space for her to really go deep and connect. And it reminds me, I think it was attributed to Jesus, but I think it's an ancient traditional phrase. If you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. And that's what's going on right now in our lives, in ourselves and in our systems. We are failing to bring forth what is truly within us, our true capacity as human beings, as homo sapiens, wise beings. We're failing to bring it forth and it's destroying us. We're getting caught up in our own egotism, in our own tools and techniques and so forth and tuning ourselves out. If we can bring that forth, our wisdom, then we start to attune. We start to become transparent to the transcendent, more intimate with the imminent. We open up lens one, two, three. We start to cohere. We can be in flow. Not only does that make us more able to deal with change, better equipped leader, but most importantly, it opens us up to nature's wisdom, that third level of learning I talked about. And then, quite frankly, all of this stuff about complexity, about biomimicry, about um, industrial ecology actually ebbs away because a lot of that is still at the head level. When you have that deeply embodied experience of life as innately interconnected, which is a fundamentally a shamanic experience that underpins all the ancient wisdom traditions around the world, when you feel that in your bones, when you have that embodied in your somatic awareness, then it helps inform 
what you do and how you show up in the world. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. I want to ask you, um, I, I, you know, I talked before about the, the, the kind of process-based like nature uh, of reality, but I also feel that this field you're talking about, for me, I, I often use the word presence, um, something we are, not something we can do or cultivate. That's also true, but um, it's like that shift out of just the, the 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 head, you know, in the in terms of like just being identified with our thinking mind, is what allows us to be with the the rich, complex, like nature of reality, you know. And from that place, it's a very different experience than being with the mind. So I think I'm just echoing what you're saying. And the question that comes up now that is about how you coach regeneratively. Um, like I, one of the things I've become passionate about and seen is the shift away from, um, you know, using just tools in coaching, even like close the gap coaching, you know, I'm here and I want to get there, um, which I, I still think has some use, but towards like um, an unfolding way of being in coaching where we begin to meet what's here in the moment in a particular way. Like you said, we, we, we don't judge it and make it wrong and say that needs to change. You know, when this thing's gone, then I'll be okay. We start to, you know, through um, cultivating a deeper attunement, welcome what's here. And then it begins to unfold and emerge in a very organic way, in a way that our minds could never control. You know, so in a coaching session, I'm just sat there and I'm like, I don't know where we're going to end up today, but I trust in uh, nature. I trust in, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't, haven't used that word, but I might start to, I trust in being to reveal its deeper deeper depth. So how do you coach regeneratively other particular frames you bring in or uh, initial, you know, experiences you bring in or, or like, even what is it like when you're with your clients in the moment? Yeah. So quite quickly um, we get to a place because these are busy business leaders. So you don't have time necessarily. Um, So quite quickly, you want to be able to do exactly what you've just said, which is, Get to a place where you're in, you're connected, you're there. You're not still trying to fit or fix or solve or, you know, compute or talk about efficiencies and effectiveness. You've dropped in and that can be done online as well as in person. Um, Then, I mean, the, the, the shift really is about helping that person recognize that they're shifting their ways of being and knowing. So they're opening up to an intuitive, rational, emotional, somatic way of connecting. That in themselves, I call it activating their supernature because that kind of appeals to the ego a little bit. You know, you're actually stepping in to more of who you are and that allows you to flow more and to have more information coming in, more, more knowing. Um, but it does mean that you're getting more comfortable with trusting these different ways of knowing. So, or, you know, feeling, sensing, rather than just thinking all the time. And that's an invitation. It's challenging because many people start off with, like, oh, gosh, you know, you know, I need the facts and figures and so forth. Um, and a, a lot of people I get here are the sort of, you know, very much the analytical leader. But slowly but surely, you can feel within them there is that other voice, there, that other uh, level where they're actually wanting to trust more their intuition or their sense in things. And then they give examples. So helping them see examples of that, doing that in a meeting where they sensed something and what, and then allowing 
rather than closing it down, allowing something, what unfolds from it? You talked about just doing that and allowing to see what comes. So there's all sorts of little processes that I then do. Um, for instance, panarchy. I, I, so the ones I talk about in the book anyway, in quite a lot of detail are panarchy, um, which is a living systems approach, um, a letting go and the micro, meso and macro practices of doing that. So the micro being, you know, in the everyday moment by moment noticing and how we develop flow, the, the meso being in the organization. I talk about systemic enablers, actually creating an environment of mycelia, like a soil, cultural soil in the organization that allows it to continuously let go and adapt. So it's a continual unfolding, a continual emergent process. And then the macro, which actually relates to that panarchic process of death rebirth where am i in my own cycle of change where what am i going through and sometimes what i'm going through personally is in a different sink than what's going on professionally so how do i hold space for that the coaching call just before this um, was with a lady who's going through a very deep shift personally and is trying to now work out how does what how does that how do i not make sure i don't project that onto my professional um, yet at the same token, not let the professional limit it. So, you know, that, that that's kind of how we deal with those tensions. There's also um, frames like the voice of judgment, cynicism and fear, uh, acknowledging insecurities. A lot of this is about the patterns that that overly left-brained hemisphere imbalanced um, separate um, way of attending creates, is it creates anxiety because it's tuning us out of life, our life force, the very field that we're in, it's pulling us out, which on the one hand enables us to come up with these little tools and techniques and, and so forth. On the other hand, it's taking us away from our mother, from life. And in doing that, we get anxiety. And that anxiety then feeds all sorts of things. You know, it shuns death. You know, we don't talk about death in society, even though it's just a fundamental part of life. Um, it, we, we don't talk about uh, imposter syndrome. I haven't come across a leader yet, and I've come across some of the best in the world <laughs> who don't have imposter syndrome. So, you know, let's talk about that. Let's work through that. What's going on there? Uh, let's get into some of the real fears that you're experiencing and see how they relate to your own shadow and your own experiences in this lifetime. So working with some of that is really important. Getting it out, allowing it, noticing it, being playful with it, not judging it, being playful with it, going, oh, it's that again. Oh, that's interesting. How's that helping me, actually? So a bit like hospicing the old. Be, be empathic with it all, because these little techniques, they were developed by us to help us. They're not meaning to get in the way. Um, but we've all got armory, old wounds and armor stuck within us, like rusted bits of armor that are trying to protect the heart because we were bullied at school or whatever it is. But actually, we can allow those pieces to start being taken out. And that's a vulnerable unfolding. A key part of all of this is being able to work with tensions. Life is full of tensions. We talked about yin yang. We talked about the tensions inside ourselves and the snake caduceus symbol, but they're actually going on in the organization all the time. Um, and a big tension I talk about in living systems is the one of divergence and convergence, creating emergence. So divergence is more diversity, creativity, diversity in age, creed, gender, perceptual horizon, getting different perspectives, uh, things like hackathons, working across boundaries. Too much of that, you get chaos. So you need to balance it with convergence, which is order, alignment, regulations, rules. Too much of that, and you just get rigidity. And, and the problem with a lot of corporate environments is they've gone too far on that. 
And I even see this with some of the organizations that are moving towards self-managing. They get then too caught on what are the convergent structures of self-managing and it becomes quite a bureaucratic, oh, you know, but then if it's too much the other way, self-managing just becomes a free-for-all and an excuse to not even do leadership. So that's no good either. You need both. And the both work in this dance again and creates emergence. Working with tensions, noticing those tensions inside ourselves, you know, the not knowing something's happened in a meeting that suddenly disrupted uh, your view of how things should be. And it's like, whoa, whoa hang on, oh, that needs to be fixed. Oh, hang on a minute. Let's hold this tension. Yeah. Before we go into fix mode, before we go into fight flight, see if you can hold the tension. And I talk about this in, in the book leading by nature, these virtues that we have as a leader. And I specifically call them virtues as cultivations of the soul rather than values that are espoused or put upon. They come from deep within us. And those of balance, uh, patience, courage, and purposefulness all have their own yin-yang aspect. And what they're doing is they're enabling. So balance is enabling right relation with the moment, with the tension, knowing when to. And that then feeds into patience, right timing. When do I go enough? We need to cut through with clarity. Or when do I actually allow myself to be uncomfortable? Um, so actually getting comfortable with my own uncomfortableness because of the need to fix, but actually things need to be allowed to fall into place for the tension to work its magic to enable pregnancy to come through into the world, you know, enable emergence. And then you're into right will, which is courage. You know, when am I needing to truly um, be vulnerable and open and come from a deeper will, connecting to nature's wisdom in service of the living system, which is in service of life, listening to the living system? And when do I actually need to be more assertive, um, which is more ego will? And then that feeds into energy, which is your purposefulness. Purpose is often badged up as something out there, a North Star or a Lodestar, something to be defined on a, a PowerPoint chart or something. But actually, purposefulness is in a living dynamic, which is that continuous caduceus all the time. How do we notice that purposefulness through our lives? What is the energy? that? What is the right energy that is formed? When am I, and getting sensitive to when that energy is becoming a bit more left-brained, it comes with its own heightened excitement, I'm doing something, yang, uh, and that's okay in certain situations. And when is it also that yin, that deeper, more sacred feminine energy? And how do I balance those? So working with those helpers then work with tensions. All of that I frame within immersions in nature. So if I'm coaching people online, I have many leaders around the world, again, inviting them to find their own spot in nature, their own sacred space, where they start to form a relationship with, where they can provide quite powerful, deep, intentional work to help them process some of the challenges in their life and actually open up and ask for guidance from nature's wisdom, from the metaphysical dimension of life. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so what I'm hearing in what you're sharing there, Giles, is that um, a lot of these practices are, uh, they sound like they're um, working with the the rhythms, like these, these natural rhythms and flows, um, which involves us, you know, expanding out of just the, the mind, you know, and the rationality, but actually uh, beginning to inhabit more of our bodies and our our hearts and this attuning to this wider field and, and then, and that recognizing 
um, you know, some of these insecurities, these these places where we're holding on, which might be dampening down our access to that flow or our perception of that flow in some way, uh, which kind of maybe I can imagine creates some kind of inertia or drag, you know? So you mentioned flow, but it's like the opposite. Yeah, there's a kind of, you know, a disflow or a lack of flow. Well, the, so, the, yeah. the picture I've got in my mind, I mean, you've got it, and I'm just adding to it, really. The picture in the mind is of the river and the banks of the river holding the tension of the river. But sometimes we get little oxbow lakes forming, and then the oxbow lakes almost get cut off, so you get a little bit of stagnant water. Because there's nothing, And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, let's not judge it. A lake has its own purpose. But when it gets cut off from the flow, we can get in caught in, I think, I think it was, again, it was, I think it was Claire Graves who talked about some delta change, where you get caught in a little bit of a stuck stuckness and i suppose our job as coaches is to notice when that little um spiraling is serving because sometimes people need to go round and round and actually process and really get it before they burst through because otherwise they just carry on down the river but they haven't really learned or when they're actually getting caught in a pattern that is no longer serving them and it's back to if you bring forth what is within you what is everything we will save you? Um, so it's when are you really bring forth, and that image of the river is that it's got a tension in it. The tension allows the flow, but the river itself is full of eddies and undercurrents. If if you have a big torrential downpour and a big juggernaut goes into a river, what's interesting is after the torrential downpour and the flood, we find that juggernaut two miles upstream. We thought we'd find it downstream, because what's actually going on is. Underneath the surface water going that way, there's a backflow going even stronger that way. And so as coaches, we need to recognize these undercurrents and eddies and flows and how they all actually serve a process of becoming. And that's why I call the strap line to the book, Leading by Nature, a process of becoming the regenerative leader, because it's a continuous, artful unfolding. It's not a one-off uh, destination plan. As we move, you know, we've got maybe a few minutes left. Um, could you, I'd like to just stay with this and how do you, what's it like for you as a coach? How do you um, begin to uh, perceive perhaps in your clients, the, these flows and also the, the, what, you know, maybe you, you're like able to attune with your clients to what might wanting to become, to come forth, you know? Yeah. So, so, yeah. so like, can you, is it that you can start to attune and, and are you like slowing things down a lot and, it, you know, in terms of um, like the, helping that attunement take place, you know, I'm just curious. Yeah, it's, what it's, very like, it's like, yeah, very yeah. interesting. I mean, you have to do both. It's back to the, the whole story uh, and the whole theme of this is that we have to have do both. We have to have both. We even have to have separateness amidst within interconnectedness and that we need to hold space for both. We don't need to throw out AI. We need to recognize how AI serves our deeper purpose. You know, all the time we're talking about, we're talking about waking up, but if we're not careful, we're going to then judge what went before it. We're talking about adult developmental psychology as a tool. Yes, let's use it, but let's not overjudge it or, or expect it to be more, you know? So all the time we're ha having to hold these tensions and it's the same in this. Sometimes you have to dive in with a, uh, um, with a client and I, I'm not a traditional coach and I've, I've shared this before I've um, uh, Peter Hawkins as uh, a long old friend of mine we've, we've known each other for years and you know I sometimes challenge him on sometimes you know coaching is you know too much about asking questions and how actually coaching can also be a bit of you know not consulting but giving a bit of 
hands-on. Now, you've got to be careful with that because then if you're not careful, you bring in your own energy and so forth. But I work with energy. So I'm very sensitive. Um, when I was in corporate, I, I had it as a child. And that's where this has all really come from, this deep sense of connection to nature. And very early on in my life, I had an, a, um, a few out-of-body experiences that showed me what the fundamental problems were with current society or civilization and why we come to sort of turn our back on nature. So that's always informed my work. But when I was in corporate life for many years and I consciously chose to go into business to try and shift business because I could see this as the major force that's sort of taking us down a certain road. In the process of being in business, I was a management consultant for many years, ran business transformation for KPMG, I was head of global sustainability for a big multinational, all sorts of work traveling the world. I became less and less connected to nature. And it got to a point where I realized, shit, I need to make good on my promise. I need to shift my own stuff. Otherwise, back to that expression again, if I don't bring forth what is within me, it will destroy me. And it was starting to, I was um, uh, becoming disconnected. And so I, I shifted and that was, um, I left corporate life, um, you know, about 12 years ago now. And in that process, I have become more and more sensitive again. Still don't quite have as vivid a dreams as sometimes I did as a child, but I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm flying again in my dreams sometimes, but not always. And all sorts of stuff's happening. And I have... Um, um, uh, experiences. But working with nature is for me, I've activated my own supernature or I'm activating continuously flickering as many times when I'm purely in rational analytic. And maybe that's useful. Um, but I, I have the capacity now to draw upon that intuitive and somatic knowing. So when I'm with a client, I actually work with their energy. So as soon as I engage with a client, very early on, I explain this and say that I'm, I'm going to hold space for them in between the coaching sessions. Um, uh, and that I, I provide homework. So they actually connect with me via the homework. So we work together um, uh, on an energetic level. And, and many people don't really understand that to start off with. But as we journey together, they, they get that and how important that is. So when we're together, whether it's online or in person, quite quickly, we can work with, are we needing to get a bit yang here and actually just some fix some stuff and get out of the detail? Like the coaching session just before this, we had to get quite practical and actually go, you know what, let's just break this down. Let's just sort, let's work on three things that are going to really help shift this massive burden that's appearing in your life right now. And so that's quite hands-on. Um, but that's because we're attuned and we can we can work with that. So it becomes very practical. On other occasions, it's very much allowing, getting out of the way, as you were talking, and no, recognizing that something is being birthed here. And all I'm doing is almost being a midwife, allowing that and encouraging them to breathe at the right time, to push at the right time. Um, so we're flickering in it. I suppose my response to that is, in my own self, I'm also going for a flickering phase change as a coach to sometimes being a midwife and holding space and sometimes almost sometimes having to sort of feel like I have to fix a little bit. And that's OK. Um, you can work with what the context gives you as long as sometimes the fixing doesn't come from a place of um, getting in the way, I suppose, with one's own. Yeah, fixing. yeah, totally, totally. Oh, this has been such a rich conversation. I don't know if there's anything you want to share as like um, a, a closing kind of call to people listening, you know, like I'm, I feel very touched and I can feel the rhythm of our conversation, you know, that it, there's been an energetic felt sense of our connection and the inspiration and the, the resonance I feel to what you're sharing. 
um, which I really appreciate. And I just wonder, you know, there's people listening to this, if there's anything that you feel called to share right now, you've shared so much already. So maybe, maybe you, you know, maybe there isn't, but. Well, um, I, I think I've just finished by saying, well, thank you for the work you do. Um, a coach is rising is very well-respected network. So thank you for that. We need that. Um, once in a civilization moment that we're in at the moment is quite a special time. It's a special time to be alive. It's naturally challenging. And yet at the same token, it's an honor to be alive serving in this time. Uh, let's acknowledge our own flickering phase changes as well as the flickering phase changes that are going on in the world. The voices of judgment, of cynicism and fear are bound to increase in such a time. Uh, let's be conscious of not energizing them too much inside our own selves and bringing empathy. The general shift is one of from power and control into love and understanding. And that is what I'm dealing with all the time in my life. I'm very far from, um, from perfect. And that love and understanding and constantly challenging myself to uh, open in that way really helps me. And um, it's an honor to be here with you. It's an honor to have this conversation. Um, thank you for enjoying Leading by Nature. Um, and I hope we meet again, my friend, in the future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Me too. Um, maybe you could say a little bit about where can we uh, find out more about your work and the book and stuff? Uh, yeah. So gileshutchins.com is probably the best way. There's a whole podcast series on there called Leading by Nature, where I interview leaders that are coaching on different journeys. So you can hear a bit about them and their organizations. Um, I have a blog as well which um, has quite a lot of information on i like to write quite long blogs um, which people seem to enjoy uh, that's the nature of business.org and um, i've actually written five books um, uh, one with with law storm called regenerative leadership uh, all sorts of books there's the illusion of separation i met, mentioned earlier which is more philosophical but my latest book leading by nature um, is the one i think that would help coaches with this work and leaders on this process of becoming a regenerative leader. Thanks, Giles. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well. And I'll see you again next time. <laughs>